The following contains explicit language and possibly triggering content. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me, Cassandra, on another episode of the Black Moment Podcast, where we talk about events that changed our life. I'm sitting here today with Ona, and Ona's going to share with us her story about her black moment and how it changed her. Ona? Okay. Well, it happened in 2017, but to understand why it's a black moment, I need to back up just a year or two. Um, I had, I'm a lesbian, and I had an interesting relationship with my mother. She was Southern Baptist. Not a good combination. Um, I don't know, it might be okay for some people, but for us it it wasn't a good combination. And so she did not handle my coming out well. And we had a very love-hate relationship for the rest of it. I came out to her at 26. And... Before that, I had been her right-hand person, you know, and and um, I ended up moving to Colorado because I didn't want to come out to the family from eastern Kansas where they were. I actually left the weekend after high school graduation and really haven't been back except as a visitor since. But um, she and I had this love-hate relationship on a very constant basis, like two or three times a day, you know, the the mood would change, it would fluctuate. So in 2016, the Pulse nightclub shootings, June 12th, she called me and um, asked how I was, and she was the only member of my family to call. And that was just, for my generation of queers, that was just a very earth-shattering moment. You know, our sanctuary, the bar, had been violated. It'd be like walking into her church, you know, her safe place. And so it meant a lot that she called me, but not right at the time. Um, at the time, I was just so irritated and grieving and, and wounded that I was just like, yeah, 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 go talk to my sister. <clears throat> Rude, but me. And then her birthday was two days later, and then we had a conversation. I still was upset about the pole shootings where I basically called her a racist for some family legends that she perpetuates that are just hideous. And then on August August 6th, I got a call. They found her lying in her bed and put her on life support long enough for my sister to get back from Missouri. Then they took her off life support. She had died of a brain aneurysm. So that was that. And... I had... How'd you feel? How'd I feel? Yeah. Oh, I was devastated, you know. Um, She was 18 when she had me, 17 when she conceived me, and still in high school. And, you know, the original shotgun wedding in Kansas where, 
you get married, you get graduated one weekend, you get married the next weekend. And so I was the oldest, ran the gamut from being princess to being I should have had an abortion. My mom, I think, had an undiagnosed mental condition. I'm bipolar, <laughs> but I know it, and I take medication for it, and rarely do I go totally wackadoodle. So like I said, we had a real intense relationship of, of some heavy dependency on, on me as I grew up. Um, my dad left when I was 12, and she pretty much fell apart. And she went back to school and became a, a licensed practical nurse and had to take college classes to keep her nursing license. And in some ways, she was a really strong woman. She did one class a semester for 25 years before she graduated. And when she graduated, she had a spring class and a summer class left when she was diagnosed with breast cancer. So during her spring classes, she'd go to chemo on Monday morning, go to, go to work, go to class Monday night, go back to work Tuesday, go back to work Wednesday, start to get sick, take Thursday and Friday off, try to get her homework done before Thursday. Saturday, start to feel a little bit better. Sunday, be okay. Monday, go back to chemo, go back to class. And she did 12 chemos in a 16-week semester. She took the summer off and did a mastectomy, um, living alone. And then she did radiation treatments while she was in her fall semester, her final class. And then she walked across the stage with two canes and her graduation hat taped to her bald head. Yeah, she was interviewed by radio stations and the newspaper and all kinds of things when she graduated. So in some ways she was really tough, but in, but in some ways she was really dependent. And and I am too, both of those things. And so together we formed the perfect storm, you know. So when she died, all of the misgivings and anger and alienation I felt immediately shifted over to the good mom. You know, instead of bad mom, she became good mom after she's dead. It's taken time and, and some heavy-duty events to get back to a balance in my life, but I'll, we'll get there. Um, she had that brain aneurysm, and I belong to a writer's group, a lesbian writing society, and I went to their convention the next year in 2017, and I came back on the 10th, July 10th, which was Sunday. Wednesday, July 13th, I was at my art class at the, at the art garage where they had an open studio for adults that had been abused as children and was doing art. And I got this killer headache. And I took a taxi and went by myself to the ER at Rose. And I'm, I'm, I'm used to going to the hospital by myself. I'm used to doing everything by myself. I've been dating somebody for 10 years, but she lives in another city. 
And so you can't just call her up and say, yeah, come take me to the hospital. No, you get your ass to the hospital. And um, sometimes you call and say, come. And most of the time I don't because I'm a big girl and been on my own since I was, you know, a little girl. So I went to the hospital Wednesday night. And about 1230 Thursday morning, the doctor came in. They had done a CAT scan on my head. And he said, uh, you have a atypical migraine. You've been seen here for them before. You probably suspected that's what it was. I said, well, I did, but you always want to check it out because you never know. And this was a pain on the right side of my head. And he said, have you ever had your head examined? I, I thought it was a silly question. But he said, no, really, have you had your head examined? And I said, uh, yeah, I get shots in my skull for migraines, so I've had my head examined several times. He said, well, there's something new on your CAT scan. On the left side of your brain, you have an aneurysm. So it's 12.30, middle of the night, nobody else in the ER. He tells me that. He says, I'm going to give you some information. You need to see a neurosurgeon tomorrow. So Thursday is the 14th, so it's like the week after 4th of July, prime vacation time. He says, I'll give you the name of a couple of neurosurgeons in case, you know, one of them's out of town. And he walked out of the room. So I'm sitting there at 1230 at night by myself, deciding how I'm going to get home. And I take a taxi because... I'm not going to wake somebody up at 12.30. Um, But I had been texting the whole time, and because it took him so long to come tell me what was wrong, I had just finished up the writing academy at the Lesbian Writing Society I'm a part of. And so I have um, sister writers all over the world, and we had been texting. And I had texted them when I went in and, and emailed them on my phone and they were kind of following along. So they were the only ones I'm having this conversation with about, I've got an aneurysm in my brain. My mother died of this nine months ago. And I'm having this conversation. Scary. Yeah, it was scary. It was pretty scary. I think I shut down at first because I had to get home. I had to, you know, I had to call neurosurgeons and stuff. And... The neurosurgeons themselves was a trip. I couldn't get a hold of anybody Thursday. They wanted me to have an appointment by Friday. Finally, I I, I talked to two neurosurgeons, and they both said they could coil it. And when you coil an aneurysm, what you do is you go up through the groin, through an artery, all the way up to the brain, and you're pushing a little catheter tube, and you go in there and put a ball of something, I don't know what kind of shit it is, but you put a ball of something in there, that's called coiling it. The other alternative for an aneurysm is to clip it, which is like, it really truly looks like a binder clip, you know, with the little two wings on it and all, and you flip them backwards and you, you do that. But it's minuscule and it's made out of titanium. 
I think the Air Force discovered it or somebody, you know, nuclear or somebody space-oriented or something. And to do that, you have to have open-head surgery. So coiling it is, is better because you don't have to open the brain. Which you open the brain, you're opening yourself to a lot of dangerous shit. And can you edit out all the cussing? I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so um, I couldn't get hold of anybody. Everybody's on vacation. My um, neurologist, whom I had been with for 10 years because of these migraines, I trusted and... He, um, his gatekeepers, the front secretaries are like, well, you can't talk to him until Monday. I'm like, listen, <laughs> I've got an aneurysm in my brain. You can't talk to him until Monday. Okay, I'm going to come through the phone wire and rip off your ear. Can I talk to him? No, I can't talk to him until Monday. So the long, long weekend, too, you know, because I just kept thinking my mom died of this. I think the process of having to advocate for myself medically helped. It gave me something to focus on, and this advocate part of my personality could take over and make phone calls and do this and fight the gatekeeper and do that. And if you wanted to imagine different parts of your personality while the younger part of me was going, mm. oh, shit. But thank goodness for that advocate part of me. And I had worked at a battered women's shelter for 10 years, running it on the weekends. And so I had good experience in social work and mental health work to, to have to be the advocate. So it, it served me well. And these two doctors said, yeah, we can coil it, we can coil it. In Colorado, 85% of brain surgeries are coil, 85 to 90, and 15 to 10% are clipped. On the East Coast, it's exactly the opposite. They mm. clip more than they coil. But they also got to have Johns Hopkins and, you know, all the big hospitals back there to do that in. Because it's, you know, open brain surgery is open brain surgery. When I did get to see my neurologist, he said, I want you to see Dr. Breeze out at CU um, Hospital on the Anschutz campus. He said, he's the regional expert on these. And I said, well, I've already got these two opinions, you know, that we can coil it. It's it's a safer method. And he, he's like, just put in a request for for a third opinion. And so I put that in, and that didn't come through until October. But things kept coming up. Like, I needed both my knees replaced. And you can't do that after you've done the brain thing because you're on blood thinners, and that would be really gory to hack off your leg while you're on blood thinners. So I had the surgery, and they basically do cut your knee out with a, with a hacksaw. And while you're on the table, so on August 7th, the anniversary of my mom's death, I had my left knee replaced. On November 20th, three months later, because you need three months to rebuild the hemoglobin, the red blood cells, and um, to work the knee, I had my right knee done. And I saw Dr. Breeze in October, 
And he, I went in, and he said, so what, tell me what, I said, I, I don't know a lot about this. He said, well, tell me what you do know. And I said, blah, 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 And they told me I could have a coil. And he said, no. No way. This one's got to be clipped. He said, you can coil it now and clip it in a year. Or you can do it all at once. Oh, boy. He says, it's going to be a breeze. I'm Dr. Breeze. And I'm like, ah, ha, 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 you're so funny. <laughs> Actually, it kind of was good, the really bad humor at that moment, because he had just told me we had to slice open my skull. Yeah. And that was in October, and we set the surgery for January 22nd. He said, I've looked at all the MRIs. I think we can go that long, but we can't go any longer. We have to do it then. I said, that only gives me two months to recover from the second knee surgery. I won't have regrown all my red blood cells yet. And um, not to mention, I won't have rehabbed the knee yet. He says, look, you can regrow the red blood cells or you can spill them. What do you want to do? And I said, I'll have the surgery in January. So it was really interesting. If you can imagine from the center of your forehead off to the left, coming down around the curve of your hair, and then back in a question mark over your ear, um, that was going to be the line they were going to cut because they had to fold the skin on my face down over my eyes. So that they could cut open the the bone on the side. Oh man! So they they were really cool about it though. They gave me a a, a cut line behind the hairline, so that it wouldn't show. You know, there'd still be hair in front of it. So I started doing all the things you have to do before brain surgery. I wrote a will. I got the Colorado dis, dis, final dispensation of the body forms filled out so that my family could take my body. I got a funeral planned. I didn't plan out all the details, but I think it's not fair for someone to die and leave the other people with no idea of what to do for memorial service. So I put together a, a file of resources, poems and readings and songs and things like that. And because I'm so young and hip, there's actually even audio visuals in it. Ha, 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 ha. Um, I had to write a list of everything I own of significance and give it away. Well, you gave it away before you had the surgery? Well, I didn't. I mean, I said, do you want this? If I die, do you okay. want the china cabinet? My mom's china cabinet. If, you, if I die, do you want the jewelry boxes? If I die, do you want the jewelry? If I die, do you want my CDs? If I die, do you want... And I had to do this over and over and over and over and over. And I got to be pretty happy with the process, believe it or not, because it was like getting to, in a funky, not yet way, you know, kind of bless the people that I was closest to and say... I know the thing that's perfect for you. I want you to have this funky teapot collection I have. I want you to have these theology books I have. I want you to have, you know. And it, 
I love finding the right Christmas and birthday present for the person. So being able to give them something when I died that was perfect for them, that would be most meaningful for our time together, was joyful to me. But everybody else cried. I bet. A lot. Mm-hmm. A lot. Every time I'd say to somebody, so if I died, do you want my stereo? And they would be like, wow, what are you talking about? Don't say that. Don't say that. I'm like, no, no, no. I really got to know. Because if you don't want the stereo, I can donate it to somewhere, you know. No, no, no. I'll take the stereo. So I did that. I got my power of attorney. I've already, I've always had a durable medical power of attorney because I don't want my family to take me back to Kansas alive, you know. So um, I got a power of attorney, and I got a backup power of attorney, and I got an executor and a backup executor, and I, you know, I did everything, all the paperwork, which is a hell of a lot of paperwork. And a lot of asking people, you know, pretty significant questions. Um, if I have this brain surgery and get really fucked up, will you be my guardian for the rest of my life? Not not casual conversation. But it had to be done. Then the surgery came close. And I asked them about it, and they said, well, what's going to happen is this. You're going you're gonna to go into the little room and get ready and get the IV and stuff like that. And then we're going to take you into the surgical cargo bay. I don't know what you call that. <laughs> I'm a Star Trek person, so we'll call it the cargo bay. And um, you climb up on the table yourself. So there's this cold metal table, and of course you're stark raven naked under that little flimsy gown. And you climb up on this table, and they had me spread out my arms. And it was just like the feeling of, okay, it's, you know, here we go. Either I won't know anything after this, or I'll be back, you know? And um, I'm just going to kind of embrace the whole world. And I did it. I climbed up myself. And, you know, they did the surgery. They had expected one clip mm-hmm. because it was shaped like a hot dog and they could just clip the bottom of it and voila, it's okay. The next thing I knew, I was waking up in the neurological ICU. And I opened my eyes... I couldn't see anything. And they're like, take your hand down. I was like, <laughs> okay, take my hand down. Because I was, you know, I, I don't know. I just was grabbing my head. And they're like, don't touch your head. And I was awake. And I was alive. And they said, you know, we thought it was going to be one clip. It took four when we got in there. It had grown that big in that short of amount of time. I would have died if we had waited another month to rehab my knee. How long did it take from being diagnosed the brain aneurysm to actually get in the surgery? Jan- July 13th, I was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. January 22nd, oh, we man, did that. so long yeah, to be so afraid. You know about it, and you're afraid, and you're like, what if I sneeze and mm-hmm. pop it, or... You know, but anytime you strain, lifting a box or sneezing or anything like that, you're you're worried about, am I going to 
do it damage. They said, oh, you know, you could have been born with this. And I'm like, oh, no, I've had so many MRIs that they would have found it before and CAT scans. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. So you weren't born with this. <laughs> I'm like, oh, good. Well, <laughs> growing. So um, I woke up and I was in neurological ICU for four days. During that time, a family member and her son came into town and they were going to stay with me because you can't be by yourself mm. after, after this surgery, you know, um, because they, you know, they pull the skin down over your face and they cut a hole and they take the bone out and then they put the bone back and secure it with titanium. I don't know if it's bolts or screws or I don't know what it is, but it's, it's secured with titanium and bone glue. Hmm. Didn't know that existed. <laughs> I didn't know that existed either. <laughs> and after four days, I was moving around a little, and I still had these horrific headaches. And because I suffer from migraines, they told me it's going to trigger your migraines, and you can't do anything about it, and it's going to be about two years before they go away. <sighs> And it triggered migraine, so I'm laying there in bed with migraine, and they say, okay, well, you know, you're, you really got a lot better this last day. We're just going to send you directly home. I said, I'm in the ICU. Or do I have a step-down unit? No, no, we're just going to send you home. You've got family here. So I said, okay. I was feeling pretty invincible. You know, they cut open my head and went through two lobes, the frontal and the temporal lobe, to get to this damn thing, which had quadrupled in size. And they got there and clipped it and it woke me up in about five hours on the table. That's all. Hmm. I, I don't understand that, but... So Dr. Breeze did make the surgery a breeze, I guess. Um, I, I got through it. And I had had a pen name for 13 years that I published under my lesbian stuff so that I could publish, you know, other things under my other name. And over that time, that, that pen name had grown to be who I was. And so all the new people in my life knew me by that name. And some of them that knew me from different circumstances knew that name only and when I woke up all the people that had asked me over the years well are you going to change your name I was thinking yeah yeah I am going to change my name it's expensive so it's going to take a little while but and I've got to work out the brain the bills for the surgery and the the medical records and the follow-ups and all those things so that changing my name doesn't screw me up too bad. I came home after four days in neurological ICU and I sat in that brown recliner and I just almost passed out from a migraine. I I tipped my head back and I'm laying there and my family member, a very close family member I will say, oh, let me tell you, she's from Kansas where all my family is, right? So she brought her son who was 20, and she came without a driver's license. Mm -mm. (laughs) So you know what her question to me was immediately when we got home? 
Will you go to the dispensary for me? Oh, God. Rude. (laughs) (laughs) And unlike myself, I mean, normally I would have, because of my relationship with this person, hemmed and hawed and argued and stuff, and I was a different person. I looked at her and I said, no. No, I will not go to the dispensary for you. I just got out of brain surgery. Mm-hmm. You can wait to have your pot. Mm-hmm. I know you have it in Kansas. Go back and get it there. And she went back. Wow. And left me here by myself. Wow. Yeah. I think she stayed one night, and then they had an emergency and had to go home. Wow. Yeah. But... <laughs> My friend Ingrid bought me an Alexa because I had screwed up my pain meds so bad the two times before I had had surgery and called her up. and She's a pharmacist, and I'd call her up in the middle of the night and say, what do I do now? <laughs> so she bought me an Alexa because Alexa will give you reminders and recordings and timers. and Alexa, dial 911. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Alexa will do everything for you. So she bought me an Alexa, and I laid in that chair with a migraine for about two years. A year into it, I had to have a decompression infusion C3, C4 in my neck, which just increased the time that you lay there. But I did a lot of good thinking as I laid there, you know? And I think who I was changed. There's nothing like waking up after brain surgery. It's like, oh, shit, I'm awake. I made it. You don't get my stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I was a different person. More appreciative or more direct or... More direct. Yeah. More taking myself more seriously. Taking life more seriously. I'd been kind of a workaholic before that. And I was like, I'm going to take some time off, you know. There have been hard things about it. You know, I have a hard time writing. and I didn't used to have a hard time at all. I could just burp and words would flow onto the page. And it's not like that anymore. I like who I am now. I started going by, you know, Ona all the time and uh, let people think what they want to. My one remaining aunt doesn't like the fact that I picked Ona because it was my grandmother, my maternal grandmother's name. And she's like, well, she didn't name any of her own kids after her. And I'm like, well, she's dead. I almost was. I'll name myself whatever the hell I want to. And I wanted to honor the strong women in my line. Um, The women that gave me the strength I needed when the chips were down. So I'm in the process of legally changing my name. Nice. Like, Like to a new life. Yeah, yeah. I had proposed to my girlfriend in December before the surgery, and we had managed to get engagement rings and stuff before the surgery but um, the engagement didn't work out but we're still together but we're doing better and stronger all the time and so I'm pretty happy awesome I mean you know people look at me and say how hard something is I say hey it ain't brain surgery (laughs) it's not rocket science it's not brain surgery 
Yes, I'm a smart ass. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for sharing your story. That was crazy. Wow. I couldn't imagine being that afraid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. getting your face peeled off and yeah. the pain and having a migraine essentially for two years and yeah. Coming out the other side though. Now it's now coming it's time out the for other fun. Side. Now it's time for Yeah, I do what I want to now. Which, I always did things I liked before, but I didn't necessarily do what I wanted to do. And now I trust that the person I am will want to do things that are worthwhile. And so if I want to do it, I do it. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much for being on the podcast with me. If you would like to put um, a link to a, your books or something like I that. I have a website. Okay, we can go ahead and throw that in the description of the show, but if you want to go ahead and verbally tell them. It's, um, it's onamarae.com. O-N-A-M-A-R-A-E.com. It's awesome. called The Other Side. All right. Thank you. Thank you. If you would like to submit your own story of change, you can go to our website, theblackmomentpodcast.com. You can upload audio files, any length, any type. You can send me an email. You're more than welcome to be anonymous. Tell us what changed you. Having kids, surviving a disease, being mistreated one too many times, losing a job, gaining an amazing job, seeking therapy for the first time. Just tell me who you were, how your world was before this event, the actual event itself, and how things were different. I look forward to hearing your stories. Mm -hmm.